conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Tim Matthews. We are not talking about Toy Story today. Instead, we are talking about the first movie in a very different franchise. So we are going to be diving into Jurassic Park. And full disclaimer here, <laughs> I just watched this for the first time all the way through. So life has found a way. <laughs> <laughs> you are all welcome to make fun of me for that or, you know, just uh, scold me a little bit because... I don't know why it took me so long to watch this. I had seen bits and pieces of it because it's one of those movies that is just on TV all the time, I feel like. There are certain movies like that and you're just like, oh yeah, okay, There, there's a lot of shows about dinosaurs on right now, so everyone's showing Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I want to say I threw this on the list because you mentioned that you had never seen it before and I was just like, "This that's unacceptable, I'm putting this on the list. <laughs> Well, thank you. Give me homework. That is always welcome from my guests. And, you know, I think I might have to put together a list of all of the massive movies that I have not seen yet. Because, well, to be fair, a lot of the ones I haven't seen came out before I was born. So <laughs> there is that, you know, if my parents weren't going out and buying DVDs of stuff. And typically they would buy new things. So they weren't going out and buying DVDs of older stuff, especially. So they kind of just bought, you know, dramas, thrillers, action movies, that kind of thing. And I never really got to watch a lot of movies that I feel like I probably <laughs> should have by now. But, you know, I was roughly six months old when this came out. So <laughs> definitely didn't see it in theaters. <laughs> this was my first PG-13 movie I ever saw in theaters. Nice. And I really was surprised by how many people were in this who I'm familiar with now because yeah. I kind of knew I was like okay Laura Dern's in it Jeff Goldblum but then you, you go down the list and Samuel L. Jackson has like a bit part in it mm -hmm. and you have Wayne Knight B.D. Wong shows up all of a sudden and I was just like <laughs> what is going on here but it was so enjoyable and obviously you have Sam Neill in this as Dr. Grant. Uh, how can you not love Sam Neill? Yeah, I found a lot of these characters to be very enjoyable, especially the ones that, you know, played their roles so well. Obviously, with the two kids, you're going to have some fluctuation there because they didn't really seem to end up being in a ton of stuff after this. It's not like, you know, hey, hey. Tim is in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> he is. I did see that, and I couldn't remember who he was to save my life because no, yeah, there were so I, many I, people in that movie. <laughs> it was It was literally, I just saw, there was an article that was like, hey, uh, you'll never guess, you know, who who this actor really is and I and my mind was uh my mind was blown yeah I mean they've been in stuff and that actor was also in the social network but not one of the characters that really stood out to me I guess when you have performances no, no. by you know yeah, Jesse Eisenberg not. that you're paying attention to and yeah the other supporting cast members in that but you know if he has made a modest living with his acting career. That's totally cool. <laughs> I think he was in some HBO thing too that I had never seen, but I think so too. Yeah. I think after I saw the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, I, I went to his IMDb to see, um, to see what else he had done. Um, yeah, I mean like the, the, the kids are good, but I mean, they are surrounded by an utterly stacked cast of incredible actors. Um, that that are just all performing on a whole other level. So they they fit they fit right in with the with the story and everything and especially having Sam Neill, you know, guide them through the majority of the the film. They play off him very well. But um but yeah, I mean all the, the, the Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Samuel L. Jackson, uh Jeff Goldblum. Wayne, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, Wayne Knight, I think that's his name. Yeah. My friend, my friends are gonna kill me if that's wrong. Okay, that's right. Um, yeah, B.D. Wong, and I'm I'm sure I'm missing someone, but the the cast is fantastic. And yeah, just so you know, everyone, I'm gonna be saying a lot of positive things about this. <laughs> you have Richard Attenborough as John Hammond, oh, and he's yeah. sort of 
the main villain, I guess, in this movie, because he's this rich dude who wants to bring back dinosaurs and open up a theme park. And this theme park is on an island. So it was one of those I things where I don't hear anything villainous yet. That's <laughs> all sounds awesome. <laughs> what could go wrong? Exactly. And all three doctors that he brings to the park to get their opinion, they're like, um, hold on a minute. Did you think this through? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> story-wise, obviously this is based on the book from Michael Crichton. I don't even know if I pronounced that last name correctly. But I think it's Crichton. Crichton? Okay. I think so, yeah. I have not read the book. Have you read the book? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's the movie is a great adaptation of the book. There's definitely changes. Uh, there's definitely characters that do not survive in the book that survive in the movie. For anyone who has seen the movie and hasn't read the book, I highly recommend it because it, it is still a completely fulfilling experience reading the book and there's enough fluctuation that it feels like a different experience. Okay. So I'm hesitant to like give too, uh, too many spoilers because there are some some really exciting set pieces um, and everything. But the, I mean, the movie definitely captures the spirit of it. But I would say Hammond's character is probably a bit more hopeful in the movie than he is in the book. But yeah, I actually, it's sitting down and like watching the, the movie uh today um as I, I texted you before i was like i definitely don't need a rewatch of this but i'm just gonna rewatch <laughs> it anyway um but i'm sitting here and it, two things it made me want to do it made me want to reread the book because it's definitely been a, uh, a few years uh and it made me want to get back to playing jurassic world evolution on playstation <laughs> where i can i can be the john hammond and make my own park where nothing will ever go wrong and everyone will be happy all the time <laughs> What I really like about this story is that it is so far in the future, I guess you could say, with its thinking that to see it on screen, especially when you're seeing it on screen with the 90s technology, you're like, yes, these computers most certainly can't do any of this probably. <laughs> I don't know. The old computers got us to space. Fair point. <laughs> yeah, it's. I would say like the one thing that like the special effects and the dinosaurs and everything it all it's so incredible um and largely the the story can have this very timeless feel where you can watch it in any era and you're and and you're fine you know it's not taking you out of feeling dated until you get a scene where uh Lex is saving the day hacking through the computer and as that screen is patrolling through the unit system and going from you know block to block you're just like wow this is all right this is special <laughs> and it was really like she was just browsing the files yeah <laughs> I, I don't think she typed anything at all she just used the mouse and kept like directing it to go to the files she was looking for. I was like, yeah. I don't think that's hacking. But when I say technology, I don't necessarily just mean the hardware either. The idea of, you know, the, those self-driving cars that were tied to the track oh, yeah. underneath. That's true. And just the fact that they came up with this fictional science that probably has some partial truth to it at least in order to find a way to bring dinosaurs back to life, it was all really intriguing. And, you know, I definitely want to dive into the visuals a little more later, but I think story-wise, they made you believe that this is something that could be possible. And Absolutely. I think that's what helps people enjoy movies like this so much. It's like, okay, we know people aren't really going to be bringing dinosaurs back, at least hopefully not, because then We'll all be dead. But... I'm sure Elon Musk is is onto it. Oh, he has a plan, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you have these moments where there's such good character work in here too that you believe everything you're seeing, despite how unbelievable it really is. Absolutely, and they go about it in in two different ways, but it accomplishes the same thing. Like in in one way that they go about it. Uh, it's literally with an exposition dump, but done within the scene. So it doesn't feel like an exposition dump where it's a theme park. So they go on this little ride 
and it teaches them about the process. It tells them how they do it with an adorable Mr. DNA. Love him. And then it go and then it goes into the room where the dinosaurs are actually hatching. It so it takes you step by step and you just go along with the characters and just being like, "Yes. Yes. This is astonishing. This is incredible. I'm in. You're convincing me." Um I think you're a little crazy and I'm concerned about some things, but I believe this. I believe this works. And then you have the other side of it where it's the scene where they see the Brachiosaurus for the first time. And and that's done through just the complete awe of all the characters as they pull up in that Jeep and the way that John Williams' score just slowly builds and the camera pans over and shows you this massive incredible feat and you feel like you're right there with them you're you're swooped up in in the emotions and John Williams score definitely does does a lot to help with that he's good at that and so between those two uh different directions you're completely sold you're like I'm in I believe everything I believe this world that you set up you set up the rules of the world and Hammond says when they're in the the presentation, you know, they're along for the ride. Yeah, and his whole idea is to not make it so interactive to where he would have too much liability. But again, they're dinosaurs. Like, how did you not think this through? And you can see when they're on the tracks, even, you know, you get these dinosaurs who aren't going to be stopped by fences. Even if you make them electric fences with high voltage. It's like, do you know how thick the dinosaur skin is? You know, <laughs> I, I don't know how effective that is going to be. Yeah. And they, they do, they do great things like, like even before, before the long before the power and, and stuff goes out, they, they seed a little bit of that danger when they, when they meet with Muldoon at the, at the Raptor paddock. And he's explaining how, how the raptors they jump and they get themselves shocked by the fence they never check the same place twice they're testing the fence for weaknesses um so it it's it just teases this example of this may not be enough this may not be enough to uh to to contain these animals and i mean we're sho- we're showcase that within the first scene which is you know the horrific murder of of that poor crew member that <laughs> all, all he had to do was just open open the door and that was it yeah and then you have dennis played by wayne knight who is also kind of a villain i guess because his whole oh, plan definitely. is to basically steal the different species and types of dinosaurs and make a profit off of that by selling them to someone else and he yeah. is not a guy who does well in wilderness clearly no so you get a little more comedic value with him as the villain versus hammond and really it takes hammond's grandkids being in danger for him to change his way of thinking because by the end of the movie he flips and he thinks that the park is a horrible idea because of everything that went on in that what 24 hour time span yeah there's that great line it's just, uh mr hammond i've uh i've decided not to endorse your park and he says so have i and they drive off it's it's such a great moment yeah no the hammond definitely he's a dreamer but he's completely enwrapped in that dream like he he can't see outside of it we get that scene between him and Dr. Sattler, where he's he's talking about the flea circus and and giving kind of his origin of how he just he wanted to create this 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 thing that you know people could reach out, they could touch and and feel something that felt truly magical. And he just can't see past that. You know, no matter how many people around him are are warning him of of all these horrible potential issues that could occur. Um and then yeah, you have uh you have Dennis Nedry, who fantastic uh, introduction to his character. That yeah. entire scene <laughs> is phenomenal. Dotson, Dotson, I love it. Um, 
at the amount of times over the course of my life that my my friends and I quote that scene. It's just see nobody cares. Um, it's 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 perfect, and it lays out everything we need. You know, it's um, it's it's him. You know, learning what he needs to do to steal this information, and then in one line where he says, "Don't get cheap on me, Dotson," and it, and he it's it's a joke about the bill, but then he he adds one more thing where he says that was Hammond's mistake. That one line is all we need to know. He's feels, he feels slighted by John Hammond. So he's, uh, so he's meeting with, uh, with some competitors to steal the information from him. And then we get a little bit more information with a, a banter about his financial state with, uh, with Hammond and Hammond kind of gives him some fatherly advice and he even follows it up with thanks dad. So it's, but it, the movie does such a nice job with all the characters of having these these lines that may may feel like they're just kind of, you know, off to the side, but you don't necessarily always realize they just gave you almost everything you needed to know to understand this character's where they're at and what their motivation is. They were very to the point with the characters' motivations throughout yeah. this. And one thing I wanted to ask you about was what did you think of the sort of love triangle thing going on between Dr. Grant, Dr. Sattler, and then Dr. Malcolm? I think it's a lot of fun because I think it, the way it's handled, it's so, it's so much you can tell Ian Malcolm's personality is he's, 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 he's a flirt, you know, he's kind of a show off with, with what he's talking about with his chaos theory and everything. But you, uh, but for instance, there's one, uh, there's one line between him and Grant where he asks, you know, is she seeing anybody? And he goes, oh, sorry, I, you two. Uh, and he doesn't even finish the thing, the the sentence. And Grant turns and he goes, yeah. And he's <laughs> and, and that's it. Like it's they have this this subtle conversation without finishing uh, the complete thought. And the thing I like about it is there's not we don't have to go through like a tug and pull of a love triangle or anything. It's just, right. It's just Ian Malcolm is being himself. He's interested in an attractive woman. And then as soon as he realizes that this guy that he's kind of bonding with, uh, is, and is involved with her, it's just kind of like, all right, cool. Like, I, I like that they don't make too much of that. Exactly. What I really liked too, was that they didn't put Dr. Sattler right in the middle of it either obviously you know there's the flirtatious moments with dr malcolm but she's much more interested in learning while she's there yeah she doesn't even really pay attention to either of them in that way no and yeah you do get this sense that her and dr grant are together in the beginning but they don't really push that storyline forward all that much because they spend so much time apart throughout this movie too i think that helps a lot yeah they didn't just stick them together the entire time and the love triangle didn't really go anywhere which was nice too yeah it just kind of felt like uh, the natural interactions between you know human beings that you know are just that are just meeting each other and the great thing with uh with with ellie and and grant is that all all we need to know is yeah they're they're romantically involved in some way but there's there's no pause in the movie of you know oh my gosh i love you and i'm so happy you're 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 safe or anything we don't need any of that because it's it's like under the surface but then enough is on is on the surface like all the romantic stuff is pretty kept under the surface but then you can you can tell pretty obviously that whether romantically or friendly or professionally, they care about each other and they care about each other's safety. They care about uh, learning together. They care about their dig site. Like that's all, that's all we need. Um, And so it is, it's really nice that we don't, the movie's not slowed down by any side love story. It's just, here's these characters. They're here for a specific reason. It allows the characters to feel lived in, without kind of taking us on a side quest that we don't really need because we're not here for that. We're here for dinosaurs. We're here for uh, chaos to ensue and to figure out who's going to survive, how they're going to get out of it, and um, 
and just see some cool dinosaurs on the screen. In a weird way, too, the love story is more about getting Dr. Grant to like kids. <laughs> you oh, know? God, that they, is hilarious. He has this moment with a kid at the beginning and the kid's kind of like, well, that doesn't look that scary or big or whatever the kid said. And Amazing. That kid sucks. Then doc- <laughs> yeah. And then Dr. <laughs> Grant basically scares him into thinking he's going to be like eaten alive. <laughs> yeah. And, you know... They have this brief. That's when the attack comes. <laughs> right. They have this brief moment where they each kind of say whether or not they want kids. And then when Hammond's grandkids show up, you know, Ellie keeps kind of pushing them towards Dr. Grant because the boy, Tim, he's a fan of Dr. Grant's and has read his book and everything. So he oh, yeah. has a million questions for him. And what I really liked about that was it wasn't that the kid was trying to be annoying. He just wanted to learn because he knew he was in the presence of someone who could teach him everything he wanted to know. Yeah. He's just an excited kid. He's just like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm with this guy who's like one of my heroes. I read his book and, and he knows so much. I'm going to get all the information that I can possibly get out of him because I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. And the kids following him from each car is <laughs> really funny. Such a fun sequence. Yeah, I I absolutely love everything that they do with that and the way that they build from his kind of annoyance with the with the kids to somewhat going along with it. And, you know, he two sequences in the movie that are that are among my favorites. Uh, one. Uh, is the Triceratops, and that's where you know you start to you start to see a little bit that he he pushes his kind of annoyance of the children to the side, and he's just sharing this moment of the fact that he's now wrapped up in the childhood wonder of this is his favorite dinosaur as a kid, which is also my favorite dinosaur as a kid. So that also uh, that also I've always connected with the with the scene and. Um, it makes me very emotional, um, but the uh, but it's a, it's such a fantastic sequence, and it's the kids seeing his childlike wonder when he's just like laying on the triceratops and the breath like moves up and down, and um, and then the other sequence when you well, I guess it's kind of part of two sequences where you really start to see him. Uh, really connect with these kids and kind of you see the growth in his character one is when he's teaching them about the dinosaurs when they find all the eggs but then especially when um before that when he's protecting them in the tree and the brachiosaurs uh come and that entire scene is one of my absolute favorites in the entire movie it's it's so beautifully done um the animatronics are are fantastic. Um, Lex gets sneezed on. It's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Tim tells the a fantastic uh, corny dinosaur joke. Had uh, um, what do you call a blind dinosaur? Uh, a do you think Isaurus? What do you call a blind dinosaur's dog? A do you think a do you think Isaurus Rex? Um, <laughs> it, it's a I've watched this movie a couple times. Um, Just a few. <laughs> um, it, the entire the entirety of that sequence is is perfect, um, and I love the I love the the fact that he gets paired off with the kids, and we get to go with him on that journey. And that's that's a the large amount of of the film for him, um, you know. And then and then Ellie is is more she's back with everybody else, and she's. She has to take the the role and, uh, you know, kind of get everyone there to man up. You know, it's there's the great moment when she when Ham is trying to say, you know, maybe I should go because I'm me and and you're you. And he's trying to say, you know, because she's a woman and, <laughs> yeah. and she's just like, look, and like shoves the, the walkie talkie. And it like um, it, it they do the pair offs with all the characters was was a great choice and really well done. Dr. Malcolm was the only one at that point in time who had an excuse for not being super helpful. But even then, Mm -hmm. he's still more helpful than Hammond because when she gets to 
where she needs to go to reset everything, Hammond is like, well, maybe it's over here. Maybe it's over there. I don't really yeah. know. And then Dr. Malcolm just takes the blueprints takes the map. Yeah. and is like, go here, follow the pipes, you know, and then you'll find where you are. And then you get that tense moment where she's flipping everything back on for the electric fences and everything. And they're climbing over Dr. Grant and the kids are climbing over one of the fences. And you're like, uh-oh, this is going to end badly. And Tim yeah. does such a nice job of playing that off when he gets shocked by the fence and then just goes yeah. falling down and then wakes up and finishes counting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that that was a nice touch. And I think they just did such a good job of finding actors who worked well on screen together. You know, every time Jeff Goldblum was on screen, he kind of stole the scenes and oh, yeah. he was just so charismatic. And, you know, I recently watched The Fly and he's kind of the same way in that. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, he's Jeff Goldblum. He's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, clearly I need to watch more movies that this guy is in because he is highly yeah. entertaining. And, you know, I've only seen a few things that he's been in. And I feel like with this one, they just got so much of it right obviously a few things didn't age super well and that's fine but i do want to talk about the visual elements of this because what they accomplished with those dinosaurs was amazing i was expecting them to look horrible when i went to sit down and watch this because <laughs> like i said i had seen clips so i knew that there were plenty of dinosaurs in this and there were some yeah. times where you could tell that they kind of had to CGI the flock running through the field there. Mm -hmm. And they kind of had some funky movement going on. But then again, they're dinosaurs. So I was like, okay, you know what? We'll let that go. But even the close-ups, they had a lot more close-ups than I thought they would. And you could tell they obviously weren't real dinosaurs because real dinosaurs don't exist in 1993. Yeah. So you can tell that but they're, they're everywhere in 2019 too. <laughs> yes we have all the dinosaurs back guys you haven't heard you heard it here all the dinosaurs have returned <laughs> breaking news <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> we've gone back to the prehistoric ages <laughs> yeah no absolutely i mean it the it's it's so impressive what this what this movie accomplished uh you know especially for it's time, but a, a, a lot of these these movies, you know, in this in this with uh, ILM and and everything. I mean, you look at this, you look at the uh, the Terminator, you look at uh, what they did with um, I think it's called uh, Abyss. Uh, I mean, just the, what they were able to do with the technology was really pushing the boundaries and taking it to the next level. Um, but what I always come back to with this movie is that they knew when to mix animatronics and CGI. And because of that, it's what continues to make this film age so well. Whereas uh, I think um, I tried rewatching Peter Jackson's King Kong. Okay. And I remember seeing that in the theaters and when the dinosaurs on the, on Skull Island came, came out in that, in that film, I remember sitting and thinking, how does this not look as good as Jurassic Park? This is later. This is a newer movie. Yeah. Why does Jurassic Park still look better than this? And I went back to rewatch it, and the CGI aged really poorly. I mean, the CGI for King Kong himself like, is still... Um, pretty good but um but like the dinosaurs they have like these spiders in them and it looks terrible and that's a problem that i have with a lot of these newer movies when they they rely so so much on the cgi and i understand the technology is getting better and we can do great things but if you rely too much on it in five ten years time when the technology has then increased again the the aging is so much more noticeable, but when you have that nice mix, uh, it it stands the test of time a lot better. Now, I will say, um, at least in a lot of like the the horror and genre space, um, you are seeing a lot more filmmakers that I think are you know the kids that grew up seeing these particular movies mm -hmm. kind of 
backlashing a little on the excessive CGI. And they're like, no, we want to see practical effects again. So we are starting to see a bit more of that blend. And I think the more that we, the more that we, we utilize both technologies, just because we have a new technology doesn't mean to, we need to, you know, just throw the other one away. I, I get a little, I get a little frustrated on that particular subject. So I'm rambling, but the, <laughs> but it just, it, the technology in this, it's yes, the, some of it, the, for instance, phenomenal scene, the first Brachiosaurus scene, incredible, but you can definitely tell that the Brachiosaurus is CGI. Um, the CGI Velociraptors, I think, are much stronger. Um, I don't, I don't notice the separation between the two of those as much. Um, uh, the uh, the T Rex is pretty strong uh, for the most part. Um, uh, that that is also at nighttime, so I think that benefits it as well. Um, but overall, I mean, it's still just utterly impressive, and I, I, I still, I just, I my, I stared jaw dropped when I watched this movie. Yeah, plus you have the set designs that were fantastic. They really just went all in on this, and it shows all these years later. You know, you yeah. can tell that this had a bigger budget than a lot of movies. It had, at the time, $63 million budget, which is quite a bit for a movie in the 90s. And sure, quite a bit of that or a small chunk of that probably went to the cast and everything, but it has made so much money. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, this has yeah. certainly paid off once you count the box office. And I don't really care to count inflation because it's like at the time it made so much money that inflation is kind of irrelevant for a movie like this. And then you yeah. have the fact that, you know, I just bought this movie recently you know people are still buying this movie so they're still oh, yeah. making money off of the blu-ray releases i don't know if they've done a 4k one or not but you know dvd they releases did. digital sales I, I have yeah i have the um there's a uh an excellent um uh 4k box set um that uh that has all of them um and uh, it has Jurassic Park, Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, and Jurassic World. And then I had to get um, Fallen Kingdom uh, separately. But yeah, I, I mean, I bought this on VHS. I bought it on DVD. I probably bought a second DVD if there was an anniversary thing. I had it on Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> You've and, had all the formats. Yeah, and now I have this. I I don't know if it was ever on Laserdisc, but I didn't have it on Laserdisc. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, there's certain, I feel like there's certain movies, just like there's certain, there's certain albums that people, no matter what, it's like when the new, um, I think there, there's a great line in uh, Men in Black um, where Tommy Lee Jones is showing him like, uh, showing Will Smith around the the office, and he picks up this tiny little disc thing, and he's, uh, and it's, I mean, it's like the size of a penny, and he's like, this is gonna replace CDs soon, um, and he's, he says, looks like I'm gonna have to buy the white album again, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's just like that, that it, there's certain albums and there's certain movies, and certain, um, you know, video games that uh, it doesn't matter how many times these things are re-released or put into a different format people are rebuying them because they're like, yeah, I have it, but I need the new version. I need <laughs> this. Maybe not Star Wars because they're changing that. but Or they had it so long ago yeah. that they kind of just want the new format. You know, I'm sure when things switched from VHS to DVD, a lot of people bought some stuff that they had on VHS because it's not like you could go put a VHS and a DVD player. It's a little different yeah. between you know, Blu-ray and DVD because Blu-ray players will play DVDs, but Definitely. you still have those people who are willing to buy this movie that they love over and over and over again. They probably wear out their copies too sometimes. I know I with VHS, <laughs> that was certainly more of a thing, Yeah, but even DVDs and Blu-rays probably scratch. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure I had at least two copies of Jurassic Park because I probably destroyed the the first copy on VHS. So I probably made my parents get me a second copy. And then I guess DVDs came around. I we, we held on to the VHS thing probably <laughs> a little longer than 
most people. I still had some VHS movies from when I was a kid. When we started packing up, I was like, oh, we have Toy Story on VHS still. Oh, that's awesome. I don't know if they ended up in storage or what happened to them since, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I think we still have that one. Also, actually, speaking of Toy Story, you mentioned at the beginning that this was a very different film. There's still a dinosaur in (laughs) Toy Story. So there's some connection, and I believe they make some decent Jurassic Park references with Rex. Obviously, this was the inspiration (laughs) for Rex. Naturally, yeah. (laughs) And the fact that he can't make a scary roar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It all comes around. I do want to quickly note, though, that I had some major Jeep envy here because as someone who drives a Jeep, granted, I drive a four-door Wrangler, so it's not quite the same, but just looking at these Jeeps, I was like, I want one. And I've seen- You wanted to go out and paint your Jeep. (laughs) I've seen a replica one when I was still in Southern California. I would see it in the parking lot of the used bookstore I would go to quite often. And I was just like, I want to know. Who has that? And I never saw anyone getting into it. So I was like, why? <laughs> so I just took pictures of it instead. <laughs> yeah, the same. There's uh, there's, uh, there's these outlets that are down like towards the, the beach. And the amount of times that I've been like in that outlet area and seen this gray Jurassic Park Jeep is the same thing. Like it's it's just it's always parked there. But I don't know who has it. I wanted I want to bother them and I want to ask them how did they get it? Did they do it themselves? Were they just did they just buy it somewhere? If so, where can I buy it? Can I just have theirs? I don't know, but I want one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's and and like I mean, I had I had all like all the action figures of the Jurassic Park. I had the the compound. I had the green Jeep. I had the gray Jeep. I had multiple versions of them because they're, you know, you, first of all, you need two of the green Jeeps to properly reenact the, the Oh, the T-Rex explorers, scene. you mean? Yeah, the explorers. Um, so you, you need two. Um, so I had those. I had all the characters. I had tons of dinosaurs. And if some action figures... That weren't even Jurassic Park. If they kind of got broken, I didn't get rid of them because those were characters that then get eaten by the dinosaurs. When my parents were moving out of my childhood home, my mom said to me, there were two boxes and they were completely filled with Jurassic Park uh, toys from Jurassic Park, The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. She said, anything you can fit in one box can go. The rest... It was like Toy Story. It has to be donated. Mm-hmm. I sat there, <laughs> and my mom still tells this story to people. I sat there, and I, like a puzzle, I fit both boxes into one box. <laughs> and I only couldn't fit one dinosaur. And my mom came in, and she just goes, seriously? And I was like, I couldn't fit one. And she was like... You can keep the one. That's fine. She's like, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> She's like, you're insane. But I still have them all. They're in their attic. So one day, one day I'll break break them out for my niece and nephew. We all already have matching uh, Jurassic Park shirts. Well, those are some packing skills that I could have used. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should host like tutorial sessions for <laughs> how to do Start it. Start a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. How to pack all your Jurassic Park toys in one box. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's the only thing I can help you with is Jurassic Park toys. It's a very niche uh, <laughs> business model. If, uh, I mean, if it's if it's Transformers, I I don't know what to do. It depends on how. It depends. Are they are they folded up before they transform? Are they are they out? I I don't know. It's that's a it's a whole different medium that I, I I'm not a professional at. What are we talking about? Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we can't finish talking about Jurassic Park without talking about the ending. And you know what? This was a semi-happy ending that I felt was well-deserved by the end of it because you have all of these horrific things happening and you do lose people throughout. Poor Muldoon. I was kind of wondering what happened to the crew members who were there when the doctors showed up. And I was like, okay, there were guys working on the scaffolding, there was the chef, there was the guy bringing out the food, and then all of a sudden they all disappear. And I'm like, uh... They got on the boat. Where did they all go? (laughs) Did they go home for the day? Like, what's going on? Because it was still light out. (laughs) Yeah. 
There was apparently a boat that there was one last boat leaving the island. So I feel like it's that one little piece of exposition that it's like, hey, in case none of this makes sense on people missing (laughs) to go on the boat. The other side of it is they got eaten. (laughs) Yeah, possibly. But I guess it seemed like they were supposed to stay the night. The guests were supposed to stay the night and leave (laughs) the next morning because it is nighttime at some point when it starts pouring. And the explorers stop in the tracks. So you have the kids turning the flashlight on and then Tim's like, turn it off, turn it off. But I felt like... That whole sequence is still scary. (laughs) I felt like once they were able to get in contact with people and get out of there, you kind of have this moment of relief that hits because not only are the characters so tense throughout, but... The audience is too. You know, I was watching it and I was like, no, don't kill any of the main characters. Please don't. And then, you know, you see know. what happens to Dr. Malcolm and you're kind of like, is he, is he dead? Because we don't see him for a very <laughs> long time after that. Yeah. We lost the lawyer. Everybody loves the lawyer. I'm sure everybody was sad when that happened. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. Just another one of those characters. <laughs> Yeah, that was always as a kid, that was just like the funniest thing. Oh, somebody got eaten off of a toilet. And uh, let's see, Dennis Nedry, as we were saying, he's not very good in the wilderness. His not death is, is, is that that whole scene is fantastic. I love where he's like, fetch the stick, fetch the stick. And then he throws it. He just like turns and looks at him. Oh, no wonder you're extinct. I love that whole sequence. Uh, Muldoon's death is such a great moment, too. Um, you know, he's out there and he's hunting, mm-hmm. helps helps Ellie get to the, I guess, that part of the compound to turn the power back on and the whole clever girl, you know, the raptor shows up and that's yeah. fantastic. And Samuel Jackson dies off stage. And this is, as you mentioned, one of the things that I will say, not only does this not age well now, but it didn't age well then. It was always very, very obvious that that was a fake arm. Yeah. Of Samuel Jackson, it ne- it never looked good. It ne- when it when I saw it in theaters, when I saw it years later, it never looked good. That oh, it always felt like that was. I mean, a lot of the budget it goes to some great special effects. Somewhere along the line, they cut corners, and it was I think with Samuel Jackson's arm. <laughs> yeah, but I think the ending, like I said, is really earned by the time they get in the helicopter and they fly yeah. off and. I have not watched any of the others yet. I'm sure you will want me to do that. So I'll, I'll add it to my list. And, I mean, and I know some of the earlier ones are better than, you know, like the most recent Jurassic World, I imagine. It, so <laughs> it's, inter- it's interesting. Uh, I'm a huge fan of The Lost World. Uh, okay. What I've come to learn is a lot of people uh, dislike The Lost World. Uh, I personally don't understand that. Um, it, uh, I mean, I definitely understand there's certain sequences that are perhaps corny that it, without spoiling anything that, um, that I totally get that people don't like, but otherwise I think it's a great addition into the continuation of the story. Um, the third one, uh, is not great, but it is, um, a slasher movie with dinosaurs. Okay. So, it's just fun and it's like 80 minutes long. So it's, it's, it's real quick. Um, so that's just a fun, good time. Uh, Jurassic world is where it builds off of what the first one created, but it's essentially, it's a new trilogy. It takes on more of a B movie monster flick, um, at that point. So there's definitely, there's a lot more humor, you know, it, it, it fits in with like this era of, of big blockbuster movies you know there's there's great spectacle mixed with a bunch of quips especially when you have chris pratt in there um i think it's a ton of fun i i mean i like all of them for kind of their own things but i'm also the same person that likes all of the jaws for all the um good and terrible things that they are (laughs) another Um, franchise (laughs) where i've only seen the first movie (laughs) First, uh, first one. I mean, well, really, if if you only ever wanted to watch the first one, that's fine. You could you could get away with with that. Um, the second the uh, second Jaws uh, 
is also it's a slasher movie with a shark third one was uh plagued by the fact that everything in every third movie in the 80s at that point needed to be 3d and then the fourth one uh paid for uh michael kane's beach house so (laughs) there's uh there's that (laughs) yeah i mean the the franchise i think is 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 still uh great fun i mean all all of them have a ton of great moments with with dinosaurs none of them ever reach the heights of the first one i mean the first one the you have the the incredible tense and frightening moments of like the t-rex attack the velociraptors in the kitchen i which is one of like the one of my favorite sequences in in film ever but then on the other side of it you have all of these tender wonderful character moments and the movie never feels like it slows down it never feels like it's dragging everything is just fit right in the right spot and then even the ending it nailed like you said it nails the ending because we're we're so wrapped up in 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 all this intensity and we're freaking out and we're like oh my gosh there's they got raptors completely around them oh the t-rex showed up Uh, what's the t-rex gonna do oh he's gonna fight the raptors it's awesome they can escape um it's it's all so so exciting and then it just with them running out of the the compound and getting in the car and driving off and then it's i mean it's noise 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 it's action action and then it cuts to them it's it's quiet and it's on the helicopter and they're flying out to safety and you just have this beautiful uh like chimes playing the the jurassic park theme um and then as Dr. Grant sees the birds, it, you know, everything expands and the music kicks in and you're completely overwhelmed by the by the whole thing. And the music was really good in this. It's phenomenal. John Williams does not disappoint. Yeah, he's OK. No. <laughs> that <laughs> he guy, was just, he's it, fine. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> they just they just had him on. I don't know if you've ever heard of CBS Sunday Morning. OK. It's I don't know, like a morning talk show. thing. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. But. My mom texted me this past Sunday and said John Williams is on this week, and so I was like, "Oh my gosh, I gotta get downstairs and watch to see John Williams." And they, you know, obviously they were talking about his career and you know just all the amazing scores that he's worked on. But he apparently has a new album that's coming out at the end of this week, um, where he's reworked a lot of his famous uh, pieces for a specific violinist and still has like a full orchestra with it, but it's, it's all reworked for the, this violin soloist. Okay. And there's two songs, two pieces that are, that are out now and they sound absolutely beautiful. So I instantly sent my mom uh, a text and I was like, by the way, Christmas. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I have. uh, So subtle. Yeah. Yeah. I have Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. I have all of those on on vinyl. Um, and then I have, I, actually, I'm staring at it right now. I have, it's a complete, I forget how many vinyls are in it, but it's the uh, a complete like essentials of Steven Spielberg and John Williams works. So he's, I mean, he's, he's my favorite. I mean, he's, it's, it's not like a hot take or anything. He's so many <laughs> yeah. people's favorite, but his music with all the films of my childhood growing up. Again, not a hot take, but I will always have this this nostalgic and heartfelt connection to the to the music that he puts out. And but this score specifically um was like this and Indiana Jones and ET, like those those th- three um anytime I hear that music, I just like like now, I will just continue to talk about it and I will continue to ramble. And all the listeners are like, Tim, shut up. We get it. John Williams is great. <laughs> Jurassic Park is cool. And life found a way and Deanna saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Yeah, I had a friend who was like, what? How have you not? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I was like, sometimes I fail. <laughs> it's fine. I know. When I saw you put that tweet out uh, saying that you were watching it for the podcast and you are watching it for the first time, I was like, bold to put that out there. 
I like taking risks like that on Twitter, okay, Tim? <laughs> you like to live dangerously. <laughs> but I really ended up enjoying this. I gave it a four and a half out of five, which there are very few things I would say that I've given a five to. So, you Tim. know, four and a half out of five, that's really good. And like I said, a few things yeah. just didn't age well. And it it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to hold that against them, but... When everything else looks so good, I was like, but why does this not look as good? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can hold Samuel Jackson's arm against yes, it. Yes, that's, that's what we're doing. That, that's, that's where, that's that's where the star. half star came down. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we didn't even mention his fantastic line, hold on to your butts. Yeah. It's like that is such a that's such a totally Samuel Jackson moment that's like an attack of the clones of him saying this party's over yeah <laughs> i would love to know uh actually uh actually i did learn this i always used to think that he uh improvised that but that was actually um uh that was actually a line written by david kep he did uh an ama on uh reddit because he has a new new book out um and david kep i mean that's a uh, the screenwriter, you type in his IMDb and look at everything that that he's done. I mean, that's 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 an incredible feat as well. He he's got uh, Jurassic Park. He's got the first Spider Man, the Sam Raimi one, uh, the the Shadow. Why am I blanking on so much? But it's it's a ton of ton of movies. The point I'm I'm making is you've got David Kep, you've got Steven Spielberg, you've got jo uh, John Williams, uh, you've got this ultimate. Uh, collection of uh collaborators and uh, directors composers actors um everything works in its hand for for this movie so if like deanna you haven't seen it yet you should fix that and uh but i am so i'm so glad that you did enjoy it and if you do want to uh continue down the journey and uh just temper your expectations that they <laughs> are not all as good as this one um but it's still a fun ride with dinosaurs and good actors and ian malcolm's still alive so long <laughs> exactly. live shirtless ian malcolm <laughs> they had to find a way <laughs> yes <laughs> i was like oh okay that's a choice <laughs> yeah yeah they just had to do that because it was 90s someone had to have their shirt off <laughs> or, or mostly and, off anyway yeah and if it's got to be someone, it might as well be Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> well, on that note, Tim, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on to talk about Jurassic Park. Yes, I'm so glad that's how it ended. <laughs> Before we go, I quickly want to let you all know about our Patreon for a dollar a month. You can generally support the podcast and get a thank you on the show. For $5 a month, you can pick a topic. If you really want me to go watch the one of the Jaws sequels or Jurassic Park sequels, just, you know, pony up that five bucks a month and I will go do that. <laughs> do it. Make her watch Jaws <laughs> the Revenge. <laughs> Otherwise, you can find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter, at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>